Guys, my absolute favorite thing is to do the opening of the show. It's only <laughs> taken me ten times today. You're gonna to get know. it. I'm gonna. You're gonna get this. <laughs> Number eleven. Here it is. Here it is. Let's start. Ready? All right. And... Ready. And welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner, and I'm David Munchak, and you are listening to our podcast where we talk about our favorite films from the '70s, '80s, '90s, and more. And today is a very special anniversary. Ooh, it, a birthday? It, a, a birthday. <laughs> it is the 42nd birthday of Slapshot. Oh. So, here that's what we're talking about. Here okay. we are. The movie Slapshot. Slapshot, 1977. Wow. It was released on this day. On this day. In 77? Yeah. Cool. Uh, February 25th. That's the date today, right? Yes. Yes. My watch says it so. Very cool. <laughs> wow. History was being made 42 years ago. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And here we are. Obviously, the biggest element of Slapshot would be its star, Paul Newman. Yeah. And my breaking news announcement, which is not breaking news for anybody who knows me, but for some of you listeners out there, Paul Newman is my absolute number one of all time, separate from Kurt Russell. Right, right, right. He's, he's my other number one. Yeah, the true uh, number one. The tr- <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. It's it's not. It doesn't take away from Kurt. But no, Paul Newman's your guy. Paul Newman is is my guy. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call that breaking news. That's more like trivia. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun fact about John. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, so this is this is one of your faves of his yeah or? this is up there this is in the in the top grouping of them i i, I wouldn't say slapshot is is my all-time yeah. like favorite i would hope not but <laughs> you know i mean just in what terms are you trying of, to say just in terms of all the things that paul newman has done yeah, yeah. like cars is pretty much above this cars one, right? is, is the tops <laughs> it doesn't get any better yeah um no i uh i'm trying to remember when i actually really kind of fell for paul newman i think it was in high school, I uh, when I when I, yep you got it when yeah. I was working at Suncoast Suncoast Motion Picture Company Suncoast Motion Picture Company okay I was uh, you know I could get the employee discount sure and what does that mean <laughs> sometimes a super employee discount <laughs> the five finger employee <laughs> the, discount um, the, so I started collecting some videotapes and I I grabbed some drama stuff that I had always wanted to watch or seen part of the new I'd like. So I, I grabbed cool hand Luke and Butch Cassidy and towering Inferno, a couple of others classics. Yeah. And, uh, color money was another one, oh, the yeah. hustler and watched a bunch of them kind of right in a row, not intentionally, but I just did. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's amazing. He was, he was so, he was such a different kind of star movie star than, a lot of the other hmm. kind of Hollywood uh, fabricated stars. He's less manufactured, yeah. more natural. Oh, yeah. A lot more legit. Mm-hmm. And part of what made his... He always picked interesting roles and interesting movies. Mm-hmm. Or, or I take that back. His He was always good, if not great. Mm-hmm. The movies themselves might not have been, but his performance was always good. He was always trying to do something interesting with the characters. Mm. Uh, and obviously his bigger hit movies or the classics are uh, memorable 
for many different reasons. But oh, okay. Um, but you yeah. don't remember your awakening to Paul Newman? Like, I, I, I want to say it was. I watched. I know I watched Butch Cassidy and Cool Hand Luke like back to back. Yeah, and then you're just like, oh, this. Guy. I was like, this I got to. I got to I mean, look at him. him. He's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, he's he's funny. He's everything. It's like him and Gene Kelly, just basically the same person. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Not sure about that. <laughs> Gene Kelly, very charming, <laughs> very charming. Yeah. <laughs> and then as as I went through college, I would you know got to know some of his other movies and and obviously his modern stuff like Hudsucker Proxy and mm. uh, and then it was really when I saw Color of Money, I was like I don't know his he was so great. I, I dare say he's perfect in that movie. Whoa, his best performance. It's up there. Yeah, all right. I mean, a lot of his characters are really, uh, you know, all of his is H series, which is HUD, Ombre, Harper, Cool Hand Luke, uh, all of those kind of count. He would he was picking movies that had an H in the title because it was like he thought it was good luck. He was doing that well, on purpose. Yeah. Well, I, I think he had a hand in it. Some of them, <laughs> some of them were the natural titles, but uh-huh. it was kind of like. It was like a lucky charm for him. Got it. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. But he uh, he had an interesting career as he came up, you know, starting acting in the 50s. Uh, he was in, he went to the uh, Lee Strasberg's school, and uh, hmm. which is very. Yeah. Yeah. That's legit. That is, yeah. So he's not just some schmo off the street. No, he came up with Brando. I mean, basically in the same class. Yeah. Huh. And, uh, you know, method acting and. But in the, once he got started making movies and got, in, got getting into the Hollywood system, they started to kind of put him in the romantic, you know, not I don't want to say Gregory Peck, but like a young Cary Grant kind of, uh, okay, you know, kind of roles. And yeah. there, when he passed away, I went through and watched everything I could get my hands on that that was available mm-hmm. from his first film to his last one. Yeah. So I've seen probably ninety five percent of what what he's done. Yeah, a couple of things weren't on DVD or you know sure. out of print or whatever. But um, so his fifties parts are are there's a couple of good movies in there, mm-hmm. um, but it's really not that much that stands out. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't until he did the Hustler in nineteen sixty one that that was. That was. Or he, I'm sorry. I take that back. He did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and okay. and uh, that kind of broke him. Started to break him out of the mold. That showed he he could do have a real range. He wasn't just a pretty face, and he had some real talent, like raw talent there. Mm-hmm. And then the Hustler is all is all passion and great storytelling, a, a really compelling character. And that's when you start to see him. Pardon me, because I'm lecturing now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is film school, but I love it. He's uh, starting to do sort of the everyman instead mm-hmm. of playing like a like a beautiful Greek god type type of role. He's mm-hmm. playing the the everyman, the lovable loser mm-hmm. who just can't he can't win no yeah. matter what he does. No matter, cause, like, and you would think because of how charming, good looking, everything he brings to the table, he, he should be winning, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the kind. Of, so we. To, for him to be down on his luck, uh, it's probably like it's kind of relatable to anybody watching. Like, yeah, you know, it's just like oh, even this guy can't catch a break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of thing. And some of his movies have like tragic endings, and and that is what kind of fit him so well as we moved into the seventies and the Hollywood new wave, and mm-hmm. a lot of the 
bummer endings of that that decade. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he he fits so well with that because he had already kind of been doing that with his movies. Oh, okay. You know, I don't want to I don't want to spoil specific movies, but yeah. if anyone listening hasn't seen his great 60s films, I I can't recommend it enough. You've got to see them. It's f- fantastic performance and a lot of great films. Is it just like everything after after Cat on a Hot Tin it's, Roof? It's not every point? single movie, but definitely uh, HUD, mm-hmm. Cool Hand Luke, uh, The Hustler. Mm-hmm. Ombre's pretty good. It's a it's more of a like studio western, but there's some there's some cool things in there. Mm-hmm. Obviously into Butch Cassidy. Yeah, uh, and then leading into the seventies. All right. Uh, and then leading towards this film, Slapshot. Slapshot in seventy-seven. Yeah. Huh. And uh, do we? Do you want to? Can you summarize what in what Slapshot is uh, for those that may not have seen it and just decided to listen to the podcast? Slapshot is a movie about a hockey team um, in a minor league uh, situation in a fictional town, where you know the main industry is the still mill or some sort of mill. That employs the entire town, and that town's down on their luck. Their team is fifth place, bunch of bums. No one really likes them. No good attendance. And Paul Newman plays uh, uh, Reggie Dunlop, who you know he's the player manager, and he's trying to figure out a way to continue his career after you know his glory days are sort of over. And uh, it's it's about the rejuvenation of this team for this small town. And some, some not so, some despicable things happen. Yeah. Questionable <laughs> tactics. In, yeah. Uh, to to get it to shine a light on the team, get the town roused, uh, because they know once the steel mill closes, there's no economy. The team's gonna die out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's trying to make the team survive. He lies. He cheats. He schemes. And. Uh, and that's a, that's a very Newman thing. Too, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. All, like almost all of his roles, he's always. I don't want to use the word scheming, but he's always plotting something. He's always up to something. He's got some kind of master plan. He's taking advantage of every opportunity mm-hmm. that some things just fall in his lap and he just uses it. Yeah. Uh, however it suits him. But he's so lovable. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like like he's doing those things, but you don't dislike him. No, he's he's never really a villain. He's kind of gross, but he's not a he's not a, a bad guy. Yeah. You know, he's like any other guy who's just trying to make his way through Without really hurting people, <laughs> at least in this movie. Yeah. So, uh, fairly realistic. I think yeah. most of his roles were they're they're feel like real people. Yeah. You know, and they do things that people would do. Yeah. But he gets you know he's the charming, he's the charismatic every man, and he's surrounded by the most colorful bunch of hockey players <laughs> uh, and people and. Uh, as an ensemble and everything, it is uh, very funny. Yeah, and I didn't actually... I didn't really see Slapshot all the way through. I always knew of it. Uh, it's just one that didn't cross my radar until... It wasn't really till I, I think I was out here in L.A. Oh, wow. When, uh, when I saw it. Finally got on. I was, yeah. I was, um, I was not working for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And during that period of time... While not while I was you know looking for work as well, I would spend the afternoons borrowing whatever movies from my friends that I hadn't seen. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, kind of catching up on stuff and 
I think that was when I first got a Netflix subscription. Whoa, the yeah. DVDs coming to the house. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Three at a time. Whew. Um, and Slapshot was one of those. And I was just, you know, when you're like in the zone, when you really focus on a movie mm-hmm. and you're not like distracted with whatever other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is pre-texting uh, craze. Yeah. So You're not looking at your phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and this was that. I was just kind of like laser focused on this movie and I loved it. Oh, loved cool. it. Yeah. Totally fit in with all the other Newman films. Cool. Which makes sense because it's a uh, third time working with this director and the other two films were two of his biggest movies. Yeah. So this, this is part of a series in a sense, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a sense. I mean, you kind could, of collaboration. If I was, you know, if I was making VHS tapes, mm-hmm. I would put a box set, mm-hmm. a three, v, three tape set mm-hmm. of Butch Cassidy, The Sting, and Slapshot. I think they all pair well nicely together. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's a great idea. You should call Columbia House and see if they can, they can get that get set that, put together. The other red phone. Bring, <laughs> okay. yep. There you go. Okay. Your direct line to Columbia 1-800-COLUMB-HOUSE. <laughs> that's, that, that's right. That thing's still operating. Is it? <laughs> yeah. No. They do movies. Columbia House? Yeah. I Googled them. Uh, movies? Well, three years ago. What, on DVD or something? Yeah, or Blu-ray? Like Blu-ray and stuff, yeah. Did you, you hear? Did you hear the news? That they've stopped making blue Samsung stopped making Blu-ray players. Oh shit! Really? Oh, is it? I over? think I posted it. Did you really? I didn't a, notice that on our social media. One, I'm one of them. But they stopped manufacturing Blu-rays. Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. Now. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye oh, box art. Are well, they doing? It's all going to be gone. But are they doing like the 4K things and all that? Or I think like, yeah. There's like, more. There's yeah. There's there's still stuff. And obviously they're they're are many blu-ray players out there and they're in the you know the playstations and and super nintendos and the super nintendo the super, Ninten- yeah. the super super nintendo look we can we can sign up for columbia house right now we can get two dvds for 9.95 each to get wow. started wow 9.95 9.95 each let's see johnny english strikes again uh night sign school me up. sign me up. The, a purge movie a purge movie. I know you have to pick which one. <laughs> the Scorpion King, Rise of Souls, Book of Souls. What? Anyway, I, they're doing a real they're good job. They're still hanging though. in there. <laughs> Barely. Like, Who's working for Columbia House? Like <laughs> thinking, like I'm good. I'm going to retire here. <laughs> no offense to any, anyone working hard and trying to make a living. You know what's special? We're going to put out there, Scorpion King Four. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know you, if that's what one. You is. could own it for ten dollars. <laughs> It says DVD. It doesn't even say. I'm assuming it might the DVD uh, Blu-ray box set. Uh, you know. Oh no way! No thank you. <laughs> Anywho, uh, well, what was your so? Yeah, that was when uh, when I saw Slapshot. Mm-hmm. When when was uh, when was the first time you ever saw it? I saw clips of this or something years ago. Some my friend either liked it, and I didn't. I was. Uh, not really into hockey and yeah, that was for me too. I was I yeah. was never a hockey fan, so. so it's like I was I was just kind of like a, but it had interesting visuals. And I remember when the McFarland um, toy line, they did the Hanson Brothers mm-hmm. in like two thousand or yes. something, and I couldn't like, I had never seen. I guess I'd never seen them or remember them or whatever. But seeing those toys, I was like, it was so visually interesting. The look of them. Mm-hmm. And it's them, basically, I believe, all in motion. So the hair's puffed, they're, but they're, I think they have blood on them and yeah. all that. And I'm like, this is from a movie? Like, what the hell? And they look so weird. They look like twins. 
and or triplets, you know, and uh, and then I, that always stuck out in my mind. But then I really never gave it a full shot until uh, it was time to time to do it on the podcast. So I, I just watched it uh, this week. The uh, well, we'll talk about your thoughts. I think as we uh, as we as we move along. Yeah. But those McFarlane toys were incredible when they first came out. Oh yeah, very. I mean, they were the first toys. They were. I hate calling them toys. They're not really. Yeah. But they they were the level of detail was like whoa, and they're obviously geared toward adults or, or older. Yeah. You know, college kids or whatever. Yeah, they're collector collectors' items essentially with you know thirty five points of articulation. Yeah. And, you know, just the realistic sort of molds. Well, and they like came with stuff. Yeah, because I I actually got a whole bunch of them. I had the Hanson. Oh, did I think you? I had all three of them. Did you really? Yeah, I had the Strange Brew guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Because they came with like the set and all yep. these, and it ended up being really annoying when I had to move like all these loose beer beer bottles. <laughs> bottles. Like a buddy of mine had those. <laughs> and then I had all the horror ones. I had Michael Myers and Jason and Freddy, and I got the bloody versions. Uh, of course. And a couple of ones from the Thing. Scream! Boy. I can't remember what else. Are they all with you still? Nope, gone, long <laughs> okay. gone. Yeah, <laughs> where the hell did you them. put those? <laughs> Sold them. <laughs> but uh, but that's yeah. The McFarland toys were try to legitimize the sort of a, the collecting. Oh, I think uh, they really started it, didn't they? Yeah, I guess so. You that's know, what, what was the first thing that I remember? Well, it was like elevating, you know, action figures. You know, because they're not really action figures; they're really just they were models to put up. You know, like yeah, it wasn't like we were gonna play you don't with play them. with them, <laughs> but you pose them. You yeah. you put them on your shelf or on your desk in the environment they come with or mm-hmm. whatever. And now uh, they were just neat because yeah. they were like they seem like miniature versions of the real thing. You know, um, so yeah, that's uh, that was the first visual memory I had of it. I think, I and I know I've seen bits of it. Uh, well, the Hansons things... were always like around. Like there was, yeah. uh, that, that I remember growing up too, always hearing about the Hansons, and I thought they were real. Well, and we'll get to that whether they were real hockey players or not. But right, right. that's part of the the production here. But mm-hmm. uh, I always just assumed that when people talked about the Hanson brothers, that they were actual hockey players. Yeah, yeah. And only like later on did I know it was from this movie. Starring the amazing Paul Newman. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's my connection to it. So, so like, how did this movie come about in the 70s? So, this was actually written by a woman named Nancy Dowd. And her brother was, uh, her, her brother's name Ned Dowd. Yeah. Who was a uh, minor league hockey player. Mm-hmm. So, he would call her from the road and tell her these like crazy stories he played for the johnstown jets uh who are in johnstown pennsylvania mm-hmm. and it's basically what you're seeing in this movie is very close to the real story of that team and what was happening at that time mm-hmm. uh but he would call her and and kind of tell her all these crazy characters that he was with and what everyone was doing and what was going on and i think you know especially at the time I'm not a big hockey fan, but it seemed like there was outside of the umbrella of the NHL. Mm-hmm. So it was a little more of like the Wild West as far as, you know, rules and just the general conduct was. Yeah. There wasn't such scrutiny as, as you know, major league athletes are under. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot more craziness. Uh, but yeah, she wrote, she ended up writing the script and... Uh, pitched it around and got it to Universal, who 
you know, one thing led to another and they had already had uh, a deal. I don't know if a deal in place with George Roy Hill, but he had uh, done major movies uh, for them. Oh, he yeah. Done, um, well, actually, sorry, Butch Cassidy was for Fox, but The Sting was for Universal. So mm-hmm. he's an established director. He's coming off of... Uh, actually, George Roy Hill was a theatrical director who segued when world war ii happened he segued he was drafted went from the theater to world war ii korean war then coming out of that he jumped into film like crap yeah uh so he had done huge movies butch cassidy and the sundance kid was a major major movie Mm -hmm. big hit never heard of it liar (laughs) liar uh the sting was a follow-up uh, Butch Cassidy starred Paul Newman and, and Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. The Sting reunited the three of them. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the crew as well. Sure. Uh, and was just capitalized on... The Sting capitalized on Butch Cassidy. So The Sting launched to another level. It was the Oscar winning, you know, best picture, best this, best that. It, it was... Got it. Uh, you know, that that major Oscar-friendly movie. They really found the formula with the with that, that grouping, right? Yeah. So they yeah. Knew, they, yeah. Uh, he had done a couple other movies that weren't as big hits, mm-hmm. uh, Slaughterhouse Five and The Great Waldo Pepper. Mm-hmm. But um, you know he still had a reputation, a very very strong reputation. So uh, they went to him, got him on board. Uh, he had won actually Best Director for the Sting. So oh, congratulations! You know, once you get that, yeah, that's your stamp. Yeah, the Best Director. Sure, you won one of those. I mean. Twice in the reconsinimation, <laughs> reconsinima studio. Awards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got five. I've the got recons. Two. Yeah, the recons. <laughs> the connies. The connies. <laughs> the, the reconies. Yeah. Anyway. Not the dundies. The connies. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, so, the casting process was kind of interesting for this. They originally went after Al Pacino, Pacino. to play Reggie Dunlop. Oh, God. How old would he be? He would have been... This would have been... In his 30s? Three or four years after Godfather 2. Oh, okay. So, yeah. pretty young Pacino. Yeah, yeah. Way, like, you know, probably seven years prior to Scarface. Okay. So, yeah, it would have been... Uh, this would have been probably right after Dog Day Afternoon. Got it. Um, the I don't know if that would have worked. I think it would have been a completely different movie. With him as as Reggie, yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I don't see like the humor coming across as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, off the top of your head, can you think of any like funny Pacino movies? Off the top of my head, uh, don't say Scent of a Woman. Devil's Advocate, <laughs> hilarious. <though. laughs> he is hilarious. Sea of Love is the funniest movie <laughs> I've ever seen. He was in that uh, Jack and Jill movie with Adam Sandler. Is that right? Oh, you're right. <laughs> I didn't That's see it. so bad. I really deleted that from my brain. <laughs> I didn't like most <laughs> current Sandler movies. Right. Uh, but yeah, so he ended up passing on the role. Mm-hmm. And years later, he, he said that that was the what he, one of his biggest career regrets yeah. was turning down that role. He, he thinks, you know, looking back on it, that that would have just been a... Just a great character for him, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just think it, it's interesting that he feels that way. I don't well, know if I see it, but well, wasn't it kind of a thing of like 
George Hill was kind of concerned about him being able to skate as well. Yeah, he didn't. And that was another side of it was like, that he's not as good as mm-hmm. he would need. Yeah. Kind of thing. But so. he's, I mean, a major, major star at this, you know. Well, sure. Yeah. But he's so big. they got to skate, though. <laughs> yeah, because they, they also wanted Nick Nolte, Peter Krause, a few other people, but none of them had the skating skills. You got to have them skills. So what does he do? He calls his buddy. Yeah, he calls his buddy. And they made a deal over, like, a six-pack, I think. Not really. Yeah. Okay. Like, out on Paul Newman's porch <laughs> over a six-pack. They worked out the contract. That's and a, uh, That's how the best deals are made. And Newman had played hockey as a kid, so he could skate mm-hmm. um, and was willing to do as much as he could, especially at that age. He wasn't, you know, the youngest guy at that point. But, right, right. Um, he's a physical guy. He always liked to do as much of his own stunts as possible, so... He was totally game for, uh, you know, for doing as much of the skating work as possible. Yeah. Was, was, was Newman like an athlete at all before any of this? Or like, did he have... A... He was always athletic. Yeah. I mean, you could tell that's yeah how he carries himself. Yeah, but no, no like, like major sports. Oh, Not okay. until, I mean, if you count his racing, but that he didn't develop that until the late 60s is when oh. he started getting into racing. Horse, hit, horse racing? No. Uh, like, like car racing, car racing. Like Tra- I'm making the motion. Not track and field. <laughs> <laughs> if you were here, guys, you'd see me doing the driving. Yeah, it looks like you're driving a bus. I'm so yeah. It's a big wheel. Yeah, it's giant. It's, <laughs> it's it might when be you a turn boat. It, it takes a while. But. <laughs> yeah. um, no, he did a movie called Winning about uh, you know uh, stock car, not stock car racing, but you know the racing industry. And oh, interesting. And while he was filming that, he completely fell in love with it and started doing racing on his own. And he did that all the way till his like into his definitely the late late seventies, if not his early early eighties, right before he died. Wow. Um, so he was really chasing. Did you ever see? Oh God, I think it was on Letterman where he came on, and this is towards the you know towards his end. Mm-hmm. He has a race through the studio. Like there's this little. It looks like a bigger version of a Pinewood Derby car. <laughs> yeah. And he races it through the studio. It's that's uh, a know. great it's a great bit. Oh, I've never seen it. Maybe we'll post the link. Post the link. Let's find it. Um so yeah, so he's uh wasn't really an athlete other than the racing. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But uh you know, he was talented at everything. So anything you asked him to do, I'm sure Paul Newman could do it. I'm sure. He could ride a horse. He did it. Yeah. R- ride a bicycle. Did that. Butch Cassidy did both of those in one movie. See? Fire a gun. <laughs> Add that to Butch Cassidy. Play Butch pool. Well, did he do the... that? I don't think he did that in Butch. Not, not in Butch yeah. Cassidy, but... I um, mean, I think... <laughs> <laughs> He's a good billiard shot. Yeah. Uh, but Paul Newman, so he had done The Sting. Butch Cassidy and The Sting were big, huge hits. Mm-hmm. Towering Inferno was a big hit. Uh, mm-hmm. But he... The 70s were kind of rocky for him. Creatively, he was Ooh, always... Rocky for everybody. Well, yeah. It was a rough time. <laughs> he, uh, something that set him apart was that all of his... He wanted his roles to be different. He always wanted to do something different. Didn't want to like rely on the same thing over and over and over. So uh, if like, he'd play like a, a banker in one movie... And like maybe a space alien in yeah, another space, movie. Yeah, he loved the space. And alien. then he was like, "Well, then I, a ballerina in another." And then, but you didn't see him play like <laughs> I played a dog in another movie. Yep, <laughs> the, the Shaggy DA. That was him. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. 
Uh, but no, he was going. Way. Sorry, but so different. Always going for a different kind of role, not, yeah. not trying to play the same kind of guy. Yeah, not to. Now I love Robert De Niro, and I, I don't does? mean to crap on him here. But Uh-oh. if you look at his stuff that he's been doing the last fifteen years, mm-hmm. how many movies is he, is he a cop? You know, mm-hmm. that same. Like he looks the same, talks the same, basically the same character. Like movie after movie after movie. Always playing the heavy mm-hmm. kind of guy. Uh, like Newman didn't do that. Right, right. If you if you really take a close look at his work, they're really each movie is very different from the others, mm-hmm. and and that was so sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't. And in the seventies, he did some you know kind of bizarre films that didn't really work that well. Some stuff with Robert Altman, mm-hmm. um, you know that are his, his performance is good. The movie isn't necessarily the strongest, um, but this is sort of a mini comeback in in that zone. Mm-hmm. This is one of the ones that works. So he's had a, he's had a very a varied career of like from the being that like sort of fluffy, puffy, uh, poppy kind of fifties leading man, quote unquote. Yeah, to like to being like real, the king of cool in the sixties, and and then finding those those sort of everyman role mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah, as as he went on. Yeah, huh. he was uh, in the sixties. He would compete with. I don't know how intentional it was on his part, but there was a competition between him and Steve McQueen yeah. of who was, who was the coolest guy. And they had actually, uh, there was a movie called uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me where Paul Newman's playing Rocky uh, Marciano. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a boxing movie. And, and Steve McQueen has a small role, a very small part in it. And apparently McQueen like idolized Paul Newman just oh. from his his acting upbringing, and he had studied him and yeah. and really like fell in love with him. And I think Newman was in a method, you know, method zone in in the production of that. And something happened between the two of them. Uh, I I imagine it was you know he Newman just kind of blew McQueen off, and and uh, you know he didn't live up to McQueen's high expectations of him mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. So he had McQueen as his star rose had definitely had a chip on his shoulder about Newman and and really was trying to outdo him and he was doing specific movies to kind of surpass like he wow. does the Cincinnati Kid to try and top what Newman did in The Hustler. Hmm. Okay. You know he did yeah. uh, you know a western to to try and top Butch Cassidy. They end up uh, you know so there was a, it was a big competition and and the whole like. American audience saw it and also kind of went back and forth. McQueen's so cool. Well, actually Newman's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So they ended up doing the towering Inferno together. And there's a famous in the negotiation process. uh, It was commonly known like that they were going back and forth, their lawyers with the studio about who was going to get top billing. Mm. So if you look at the, the posters of that, one of them is to the left, the others to the right. Whoever's on the right, their name is above the other one. Right. So I think Did like that start the trend. That was because yes. I've seen that on a lot of posters. Yeah. This was like the first case of it where you have two major stars in a movie that's filled with lots of other stars. Yeah. But they're the two, you know, made top names. Yeah. So, you know, it's like McQueen is above Newman, but Newman's to the left. So where does your eye go? Right. Kind of even. All right. Um, Clever way to work that out. Well, it just goes to show you, as we as they say, never meet your heroes. Yeah, you're just you're going to be disappointed. 
Yeah. I, I mean, not not every time, I but that's it, the know, general it, rule. It's also circumstantial a little bit. Of course. Um, you know, if, especially these method actors when they're on set in character. Yeah. You know, you don't go up to them and start trying to, like, buddy up. Right. Which is what it sounds like was what happened. Interesting. But, um, and then McQueen would, you know, definitely get the same way. Hmm. Wasn't the most friend, friendliest person on set. I see. See, he learned. And Newman, like, as he got older, like, cared less and less about about all that crap. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just, he wanted to go out there and, like, have fun and do a good product. And, like, you know, he didn't care about all the drama and the personal stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't get himself into trouble. And, um, you know, with all the crazy, I always tell this story, but, like, all the crazy Hollywood parties in the 70s that was going on. And you have Dennis Hopper running around wild and and Jack Nicholson and like that whole crowd, you know, for a lot of these parties, Newman would be like the first guy to show up when the party is just starting and everyone's kind of under control and having a good time. And then as soon as the Dennis Hopper types like walked in the door, he's just put his glass down and walk out. (laughs) Avoid all that shit. Just, yep. Just didn't. So he kept his star, you know, shining, but Mm -hmm. uh, didn't have to get down in the mud with a lot of them. So, Real difference there, yeah, and that's that's why uh, he outlived McQueen by what thirty years. Yeah, years. well, <laughs> I don't know if that was why. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> but so he's coming off of the Sting, Towering Inferno, The Drowning Pool, which is a uh, another kind of forgotten movie. It's a sequel to Har- to Harper. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you call it a sequel, but he's playing the same character as in Harper. Got it. Um, the next in a series. Yeah. And then he did, did uh, Buffalo Bill, which was not as big of a hit, and uh, yeah, just not just not as big of a movie. wasn't as successful, and is kind of the first time his stars starting to, uh, you know, not that his star wasn't shining, but it, it wasn't the hit that the others were. Okay. So here comes this script about the hockey league and the hockey players, and and he's uh, excited to work with George Roy Hill again and get his you know, take that next step. And as his career, you know, the character mirrors where he was in his career as well. Yeah. An aging star and, and can he find that right place for him in the right role? Does he have, how much more does he have left in him? Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's Reg Dunlop for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And he loved the realism of the script. He was, he was drawn to that. These are real people and a real place. It's nothing's really, I mean, it may be exaggerated, but nothing's really fictionalized. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, because she, uh, Dowd, who, you know, was taking actual recordings of them, of mm-hmm. what her brother brought into the locker room, just how these guys talk to each other and what they talked about and all yeah. that, right? So it was just sort of like, these are what these kinds of guys talked about and, to- and how they talked yeah. and all that. And it felt real. And Ned Dowd, actually, you see him in the movie. Yeah. He plays... Ogie Oglethorpe. Ogie Oglethorpe. Yeah, who's yeah. like was in jail most of the movie and yeah, gets released yeah. right, right before the last game. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's the, he's got a big red afro in it and uh mm-hmm. uh he's he actually went on to become a big producer. Oh. Yeah, he became an AD and then worked up the producer ranks. Really? And, yeah, did some <laughs> yeah. became an AD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. He, after this, he like just got totally into the show business. Show business. Left, you know, quit hockey and had a whole second career. Oh wow, neat. Yeah, he produced like Apocalypto. Oh yeah, was one of the uh-huh. one of the things. I I don't think he's as active anymore. I think he's you know he's older now. But yeah, yeah, um, huh. yeah. So that interesting little tidbit about him. Oh wow. 
but yeah, the whole movie is filled with great, you know, great character actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Struther Martin, who plays Joe McGrath, who is the he's not the owner of the team. He's like so the manager. It's like, yeah, like the he's the front office of, yeah. of the team. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the manager, whatever. And he had done several movies with Newman. Oh. You know, Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. He's the like warden of the prison. And uh, that's probably his best role. But he's also in Butch Cassidy. And, you know, he's in well, The Wild Bunch. He's in a, a few a different. Westerns, right? Or no? A lot of Westerns. In yeah. His career, right? Yeah. Neat. But uh, so it was cool to see him play a different character here yeah yeah and who's always <laughs> it's like every time you see him he's scheming to get out of the team yeah, to yeah. like r- save himself yeah he's really funny the way they do the way they play him but he's just the, these guys are so interesting together that they're they're not none of these guys are heroes like none of these guys no, are not good no. people in a sense <laughs> but i mean they're doing their best but it's just sort of like i gotta get mine i gotta get mine yeah. and uh they play up they play that up for for laughs or at least just a chuckle uh, mm-hmm. a lot yeah you know yeah that's uh, the thing about this movie i don't know if it's like it's not laugh out loud funny no it's not like a, yeah, this isn't like a zany comedy like well i, mean, I think I, it kind of was at the time mm-hmm. but the definition of a zany comedy has changed so much since then that yeah. the jokes are more subtle and than you'd think but. well i mean the funny thing is the opening the first like third of the movie is a lot different than the rest of the film like mm-hmm. in just in just in terms of playing up the the humor of of certain things uh and then the way they cut it and it becomes a little more just sort of darker and tragic and and just more blech um with some with some funny things in there but well yeah the the hansons don't even really get involved to the second half of the movie yeah i think so i mean they're yeah because they're benched they're benched for a while we meet them pretty quickly but once they get in there uh man they really the, their first scene on the ice where the way they shoot that where they are just monsters just yeah. <laughs> barreling through on the ice i was in stitches it was hysterical <laughs> i couldn't believe it like it and was... then when they go in the crowd and it's just they're, they're looking for that one guy <laughs> yeah and they're just beating like... up the wrong guy like two or three times <laughs> yeah and then just them yelling with their minnesota accents and yeah. everything is just oh is that guy oh he's over there and they're all so nice they're all like, yeah oh hey coach how are you <laughs> and well, then they're these vicious guys they, yeah I don't know. A lot of fun. And what you were saying before, you know, it, part of what makes this movie so interesting is that it it kind of is like two different movies. It's this comedy, but it's also this really tragic, kind of darker, realistic story of what's ha- what would, was really happening to these people. Yeah, I mean, we're just getting a very, very specific slice of like the swan song of this town, this community, and and represented through this team mm-hmm. um which is going to be destroyed you know disbanded well the destroyed. steel mill or the mill which we yeah we don't even know exactly what the mill is yeah it's right? probably some sort of steel mill yeah steel yeah. mill i mean just looking at the movie you can assume that it is where it really was set was pennsylvania yeah steel mill and the mill is closing and the town revolves around the mill yeah so without the mill, there'd be no hockey team. There'd be no one to buy tickets to watch a hockey team. Yeah. So if the mill goes, so will the team. Yeah, I mean, 10,000 employees are losing their jobs all at once or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's uh, it's apocalyptic for them. Yeah. And they're, people are getting out. I mean, yeah. you know, Dunlop's wife is going to leave. Uh, well, yeah, and, and all these guys, all these characters, are, are they're not necessarily good enough to really just go hop on another team. Yeah, they're, they're third-rate players like yeah. they're good enough for this league 
and whatever, but they're in, they're in the last place team. Right. All those other teams have their guys, you know. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of these guys are going to change careers, be out of jobs. And then we meet the character of Ned Braden, who is played by Michael Ondkeen. Yes. Any Twin Peaks fans out there uh, know that he is uh, Sheriff Harry Truman. Yeah. And that's really that probably is more of his uh, main work is Twin Peaks. That's his iconic role. Yeah. Other yeah. than uh, what was that '90s sitcom drama he was on? There's like a sheriff and a Twin Peaks. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> was there another show? I, uh, that's really all like I like a CBS for. show. Oh, Northern shoot. Exposure, but like that, right? It's not that, is it? I don't that know, it might have been. It's, no, uh, it's not Northern Exposure. Like, like, like picket fences or something. Is that? Look them up. Looking them up. Check, I'll talk about it. Keep so going. Ned Braden is your um, is your young kind of star player, if you could say that, of the team. But he's the one with a lot of natural talent. He's uh, and he still has passion to you know move forward and go up. You know, maybe make it to the NHL. Yeah, uh, he, oh, sorry. Never and, mind. I thought it was. I thought he was on like. What's is? I think I was thinking Northern Exposure. But mm. He was on a show called North Shore, but that was just a guest spot. Okay. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Maybe that episode really resonated with you. I don't know. I don't. Know. Maybe maybe when I was getting into Twin Peaks a few years ago, uh, with the resurgence. Yes, yeah, thank you. Uh, and I was looking him up, and then going through his IMDb, and I was like. Oh, he's that guy from that thing? And I'm yeah. thinking, I must be thinking Nor- Northern Exposure. Well, he really... Uh, anyway. He did stuff through the 80s, but mm-hmm. he really, after Twin Peaks, didn't do a heck of a lot and turned down the, uh, you know, returning to the show yeah. for the new, you know, whatever that was. Yeah, I guess he just wasn't into it. He Yeah, just didn't. I, he was not into acting anymore. Yeah. He actually, <laughs> if you've seen the movie The Descendants with George Clooney... Mm-hmm. From I don't know 2010 or 11. Yeah, he's in that. Really? I don't think he has any dialogue. It, may, it probably all got cut out. But he's one of Clooney's brothers. Oh no kidding! And he, you know, when you see like he's got three or four brothers that he's like negotiating with, and yeah, yeah. he's Michael Ankeen's one of them. He's but, just in the room. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he was like in Hawaii when they were filming. Yeah, so but uh, yeah, he's real charming here because my true, you know, first um, exposure to him was the Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. like. I don't, I don't, I didn't know this guy. Uh, so he's like younger than he was in Tr- Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and just athletic young dude and a yeah. ho- good hockey player. Yeah. Like, and he was a hockey player. He played uh, in college. So yeah. he also had some like legit hockey experience. He had that cred. Yeah. So they could, you know, they wanted a few people who actually could play hockey. So, mm-hmm. you know, they don't just have to fill the movie with doubles. Yeah. You can actually shoot real people playing. So. Um, and there's and a lot of other people in this movie, right? Yeah, there's a lot. We're going to go through some. Okay. Of them. So he, his uh, his wife is uh, Lily Braden, played by Lin, uh, Lindsay Krause, mm-hmm. who um, has done a ton of movies, but she was married to David Mamet. Right. So okay. she's in a lot of a lot of his stuff. Mamet. I think the last time I saw her was in The Insider. Oh. The Michael Mann film. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she did a couple. I think she did a couple of movies with Pacino. I but, believe you. Uh, yeah, she's great. As a, you know, there there are a couple who's kind of on the outs, and he's really just so rude to her. <laughs> it's kind. Of, it's a really it's weird dynamic that they the movie doesn't ex- let you explore as an audience member at all. It's kind of a disservice to the the thing. I don't get it. Like their marriage is terrible. Like 
she hates where they are in life he's not getting along with her they have their own intimacy problems whatever we don't know what it is yeah it's kind of vaguely alluded to yeah but then like he but the thing is like he's not otherwise kind of an like he's you know he's kind of a hot shot but he's not really a a bad dude like right so, so it's like well why why is this like a, a thing like what so it's not given a lot of attention and it is kind of like what's the point of lily in the movie mm-hmm. really i don't know <laughs> but, well and then like as newman's kind of like flirting with like kind of coming on to her yeah but i don't it, think that they well do you think they slept together like no they didn't like even though she moved in and stuff he just he's just taking care of her no right? they yeah he's just taking care of her and it seems like it was all kind of a setup to kind of just fire up Ned Braden. Just to get him on board with Just that. to get him, That's... like, do something to motivate him to, you know, just turn on turn on the juice. To, you be, know? A, to be a goon with the rest of them yeah, kind of yeah. thing? Okay. All right, so that, that's probably just all part of the manipulation. That's part of, yeah, the, of uh, oh, Reg, Reggie Dunlop's, like, manipulation of the characters. Yeah. And, you know, he's playing chess with them. <laughs> yeah, <he's> three <laughs> moves ahead. <laughs> Uh, okay. uh, we've got uh, Jennifer Warren, who plays Francine Dunlop, yep. who's uh, Reggie's ex-wife. Yeah. There's... Still has his name, though. Yeah. Well, they're technically not divorced. Right, okay. But they yeah. they haven't been together for a long time, yeah. it seems like. But they're still, like, in the same town, very friendly with each other. Yeah. Um, they've just kind of split amicably, it seems. But he's that's where, like, the tragedy of his character, of part of his character lies, is... Yeah is the storyline with her that he really is still like, he doesn't know how to hang on to her. He doesn't know how to stop behaving like a, almost like a bachelor, Yeah. but he loves her. Yeah. Yeah. He just doesn't know how to merge those things. Yeah. Know? They're very separate things. So, and then she's, so she's decided to move on and we, and we learn that she's going to leave town. Like, and he doesn't believe her really. Yeah. Cause I think he's kind of like, he's got like a personality disorder of some sort. He's just kind of delusional in a sense. Like I think he believes his own bullshit. That's a Newman thing too. That's very Butch Cassidy. Yeah. So I think it's that's that kind of thing where, and she knows that, so she just kind of like shakes her head, like no matter how he talks about what's going to happen next, and they can be together, and da da da. He says it as though it's possible, but it's not like he's desperate or holds out hope. It's just he's just going to operate like that's the truth. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, she just shakes her head like, yeah, okay, well I'll see you. Like, yeah, bye. Yeah. Um. It's it's it, that is it's like more of that tragedy of of Dunlop, Ugh. yeah. Uh, we've got some other good actors here. We we who uh, else is in the movie? Jerry Hauser plays Dave Killer Carlson. Oh, very charming. You'll know uh, Jerry Hauser from the Brady Bunch uh, adult movies, not adult. <laughs> I take that. I'm back. sorry. What? <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip there. Okay. Um, the the movies when the movies that they made. When the Brady kids were adults, okay. like the very Brady Christmas, and they made a couple other ones in the nineties. So, but not he's, the not he's the Marsha's husband. Okay, so that's where you know him from. That's what I know, but not the actual uh, Shelley Long movies. Just the no, not the Shelley Long. The ones. The TV movies, the ones made. with the original cast. Gotcha. Grown up as adults. The adults. They were not making Brady adult Marsh. films. Okay, <laughs> got it. All right. Sorry for the confusion. <laughs> But yeah, he was uh, in that. I just remember him that as a kid. Like when I saw Slapshot, I'm like, "Oh, it's uh, Marsha Brady's husband." <laughs> wow, <laughs> I love that you had that that retention on the cast of the Brady Bunch movies. And then we have the Hanson brothers. Yeah, who were played by now. This is a little confusing. 
Yeah. So it, it just took me a couple paragraphs rereading over and over when I was yeah. learning about the movie. <laughs> like, how did this casting work? Bear with us as we try to walk you through it. So the Hanson brothers are based on the Carlson brothers mm-hmm. in real life. Okay. Yep. So they were Jeff Carlson, Steve Carlson, and why am I forgetting what the I third th- Carlson? I think it's Jack. I think it's Jack Carlson. Yeah. Is that right? Or, yeah. Anyway, so there's three Carlson brothers. That's separately from the character of Dave Killer Carlson, right. played by Jerry Hauser. Mm-hmm. So we got some extra confusion there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they originally cast the three brothers, the three Carlson brothers, to play the Hanson brothers. Mm-hmm. Then one of them got actually called up to the NHL after between being cast for the movie and the beginning of filming. Yeah. So he's gone. They keep Jeff and Steve Carlson, and then they they get another actor named David Hansen to play the third Hansen brother. Yes. Everybody then, with us so far? And then they changed then they made the the characters the Hansons. Right. They changed it from the Carlson brothers to the Hansen brothers. And then Jeff and Steve kept their names and then I think Dave ha- went by Jack, I think. Yeah. With in the, the missing in the movie. Yeah. Missing brother. Yeah. Yeah. So So it's very confusing. Yeah. It was very Yeah, it was very, uh, but boy, what a trio. Oh. They've got that Midwestern accent. They're like they're like kids. They play in, with Trey. The, or the, well, yeah, when the we first cars. when we first see them, yeah. like Newman doesn't want doesn't want to even play them because all he's heard is that they're monsters. Yeah, they're they're the goons on the ice, and they're like they're aggressive and crazy. And and when they show up, they're just goofs. Yeah, they're like, like they're literally playing with toys in their hotel room, like happy go lucky. You know, they're doing what they're told, and yep. he's benched them until he really. Uh, it's not until he figures out that the bloodlust is what's going to start driving this team yeah. that he sort of unleashes them. Yeah, he lets them loose. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're hysterical, like interrupting his speech in the beginning of uh, before a game. Like he just he says something and they just break into a, like an applause line. Yeah, coach, we're going to get him. All right. Yeah. And they're just talking over him. It's uh, it's it's so funny. Um and yeah, you and then when they're finally unleashed, and again they're just these monsters on ice that that go, and uh, they just shoot it so perfectly that you see you feel the force of them, yeah, coming the whole time. Well, and they're real; they're great characters. Yeah. Um, they're very marketable. Mm-hmm. Just their look—they have a very uh, specific kind of look. The long hair, the glasses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think if this movie were made now. Though a lot more of the movie would would circle around the handsome. Oh sure, yeah. You wanna you wanna use those. That's like where your money is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, they're just it's a great design. Whoever came up with the glasses thing, to really single out brilliant choice. I don't know if that was Hill or Dow. I'm gonna say it's Paul Newman. I'm just gonna credit. Yeah, it's probably him. Yeah, Yeah. combo (laughs) of him and George Ryan. Uh, the and then a couple of other faces in so there. Who else is in small, the movie? Small roles, Go. but um, Swoozy Kurtz, yeah, who, yeah, was one of the uh, players' wives. Yes, um, she's in a, f- a bunch of scenes in the in the stands. They yeah. kind of keep cutting back to her, like kind of making like jabs at the team or or you know ma- just talking about the team in general. But uh, yeah, she's with she's at every game. She's on the road games. Yep, and. She's a player's wife. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, Melinda Dillon yeah. from Christmas Story and from yeah. 
from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. She's in one scene in this movie, mm-hmm. and this is actually the same year as Close Encounters. So, oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she does the whole scene topless. Yeah. Which was uh, shocking if you just know her from Christmas Story. Yeah, I that that was shocking to me. <laughs> but she, yeah, she's uh, just got one scene with Paul Newman that they've you know post coital, mm-hmm. and uh, she's also another player's wife, but a player from the opposing team that night. Yeah, who Newman has, sl- has slept with her and yeah. is going to use that against the player during the game. Yeah, she he learns some information fr- about her and about their marriage and all of that, yeah. and uses it against him immediately. <laughs> like g- despicable behavior, and that's also part again. of where they they start. He's starting to figure out like the. You know the underhanded side is is what's gonna yeah. help them win. Well, when you when you're in survival mode, you do, you know you do whatever it takes to mm-hmm. survive. So, and uh, another real quick role was M. Emmett Walsh. Yeah. If uh, anybody knows that name or doesn't know it, he was in a couple some of the early Coen Brothers movies. He's in Blood Simple, mm-hmm. uh, Raising Arizona for a bit. He's in Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. He's a very recognizable face. He's been in tons and tons of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a very quick role here. This is kind of before he started uh, really gaining momentum. That really happened in the early 80s, I think. Yeah. Kind of after Blade Runner, really. But, but, he, but he played the reporter, Dickie, I think, mm-hmm. who uh, Newman would feed him all the, these false yeah. things. So he's, you know, Newman was manipulating the media through Dickie uh, to, to get their get their name out there. And uh, so they shot this movie around Johnstown, Pennsylvania, where the real team had played, yeah. uh, Utica, New York, Syracuse, New York. Mm-hmm. So all really kind of following where the actual team was playing. Mm-hmm. So it helped with capture uh, capturing the reality of the of the uh, film. Yeah, yeah. It's uh like I mean Johnstown I think is it's probably a 100 you're miles. A pe- you're a Pennsylvania guy. I'm a PA Tell guy. Tell me about it. I have never been there. Because <laughs> it's I came from the northeast PA area and uh and where's Johnstown? Well, it's close it's pretty close to Pittsburgh, I believe. It's like 100 miles away or less than that. The Berg uh, yeah, it's by yeah the Berg, which is I think what they call it, and um, you know it's a tiny little little town. I think it's like twenty thousand people or something like that as of today. So I don't even know what it would have been back in seventy seven. Yeah, you know, and considering they say in the movie of ten thousand people, that's probably like every working adult yeah. <laughs> in the town that isn't like a school teacher or a banker or a grocer. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, I mean, but. It, like they have the town center, which I see, you see a lot of exterior mm-hmm. scenes taking place, and it's it's great to see uh, the mill is also part of the the tapestry in the background, and also like sort of the mountains uh, as well, just the evergreen mountains yeah. around them, and uh, it really makes you feel like you're in that just small like sort of not a mountain town, but just a small little town in. In the yeah. midst of in the midst of nothing. You yeah, know? they did a, a. Victor Kemper was the cinematographer and did a great job of capturing the town of, the fictional town of Charlestown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just that very, I don't know, like the word that, that comes to mind is local. Yeah, you know, yeah. very, very small town. Not the smallest town, but. No. You know, a, a very local feeling. It's not a major city. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, a lot of these people know each other. Mm-hmm. They're all know, you know, everything is supported by local businesses and, and obviously this mill. Yeah. Um, and it feels very real. It doesn't feel like a fake made up 
Hollywood town. Well, no, it's like they're you know their downtown is you know these one story buildings uh, or two story buildings of shops like Woolworths, uh, which is no longer a business in America. Um, right? Is it is it not in America? It's. I mean, the original Woolworths is a department store in the UK, I believe, or Australia, mm. or something. That's also. But I know it's now in the UK. I don't know. It's something like that. Um, what are, I think there were sort of a branch. A different type of store here in America. Those those closed down, I think, in the early '90s or late '80s. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but like you know, there's a, a thrift drugs. I had a thrift drugs. Oh yeah, where I grew. Up. Oh my and god. Then, yeah. And then I I forgotten that name. And then of course a Rite Aid, which Rite Aid was started in uh, Scranton, Pennsylvania. So little and, known fact. Yeah, and there's Rite Aids here out in LA. There there are indeed. Yes. So I've been. They're great. Get your get your pills. Get your First aid, get your yeah. I mean, whatever you want. Toothpaste, toothpaste, sure. Yeah. Go to Rite Aid. Get headache medicine, eye medicine, foot <laughs> I've medicine. Never had headache. I've never once had a headache. Really? Yeah, the, never. Oof. Nope. You seem like a guy that definitely never had a headache. <laughs> Anywho, um, <laughs> talking about Woolworths made me think of uh, one of my favorite things in this movie is Paul Newman's damn wardrobe. Did he yeah. catch some of those? Oh boy! Yeah, his Those, his brown leather suit. The brown leather suit is like number one. That's insane. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. And the thing is, like, if you look at pictures of him from the seventies, like that might have been from his wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> and the plaid pants. Yes. Oh, he's uh, it's it's, it's and he wears them with confidence, full oh, confidence. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, he makes it work. He's he's a tall, slim, good-looking guy. He could he could wear anything. Even it's like, but those garish like outfits from the, the fashion show, which he he's not a part of. But then like you could see him pulling all that stuff off, <laughs> even oh, yeah. though the other players are like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like yeah. I don't want to wear this. <laughs> but he'd wear it. He'd walk around. He'd just strut. Oh those, yeah, like, terrible outfits that <laughs> they work on him. You know what? Anything works on Paul Newman. I guess so. Uh, we're this. We're gonna learn this lesson as we. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, what a what a great uh, that was a great little little piece I think for his character too. That war, those wardrobe choices. Yeah. So when you were talking about the town square, when when you said that, I automatically kind of thought of the ending of the movie, mm-hmm. which is really I think the saddest part is when he's you know they they win the this is after they win the big game at the end and they're having the parade through the town and mm-hmm. it's kind of your happy ending and then he sees Francine who's literally leaving town with all her bags packed and you know towing stuff mm-hmm. and she's stuck in the middle of the parade yeah like behind uh, you know in between some of the vehicles and yeah and he runs up to her and like it kind of dawns on him that she's actually leaving town yeah and he's like well oh he makes one last pitch like you got a job it's gonna be in Minnesota. Look, like you gotta, you gotta call me. We gotta get, like he still acts like, it, yeah, like whatever he's saying could is gonna be the reality. Well, and he doesn't even have, he doesn't even know where he's gonna land yet. He can't even give her his phone number or where he's gonna be. Yeah. So it's, so he might actually just be lying about even having the job. Like, and you'll never know. You'll never know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most, for most of the movie, we know when he's messing, messing around and manipulating people or whatever. But we don't actually know if he got a job. I mean, yeah. it's like a happy ending because they won the championship and it's a parade. But uh, 
does it does that actually mean things are working out for him? We don't even know. Yeah, and then it's you like know the sadness of it. And you know, even if even if it is real, like he does have that job, he can't tell her where he is. So it's completely up to her who's actively cutting ties with him. He's leaving it up to her to reach out to him. Yeah. Call me through the team. Yeah. <laughs> like. So, and, you know, you just know she's not going to. Yep. And she drives off and he just watches her go. And, and I think there's that moment in his, in his eyes where you can tell that he's, he knows he's probably lost her and he just realized it. Yeah. And he just has to go back to the parade mm-hmm. and, and this life he's built. Yeah. Uh, one production note, though, about that scene. How great is it when the, the camera is in her car and he's walking alongside it? And he is obviously on the trailer that's towing the car, and he's pretending to walk with it. He's acting. <laughs> I'm like, Man, that brilliant. is brilliant. He does a really good job of it. But it's so, like, you can just tell where the height of the car and how far he's bending down yeah. and how he's, bo- like, oh, he's just on the trailer, like, <laughs> just, like, lowering himself, acting like he's stepping. You can't stop talent. Yeah. And can't he, do it. He's very good. So <laughs> I, I always have this thing about anytime you're in – inside a car in a movie like is that is that practical or are they on a trailer i always like to figure that out yeah it's just one of those things i do you gotta know <laughs> gotta know it and uh if i can't tell well then kudos to those people so listen studios when you're making your uh dvds or blu-rays and the liner notes mm-hmm. which you should start making again yeah make sure you note uh any process trailer shots yeah <laughs> You know how those work for, for David. How'd you, how'd you, I would that that really elevates it for me. That's why I stopped buying DVDs. I stopped doing that. Yeah. If I don't know how the process trailer's going. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. Great um, scene though. So we talked about the uh, you know kind of the setup of what's what's happening here, but as uh, as the film's going along, Reggie Dunlop realizes that the vi- violence is the way to get people into these games mm-hmm. and to motivate the team to win. Because mm-hmm. they're they're out and out like kicking everybody's ass physically, yeah, you know, and then scoring goals on top of it. So, yeah. uh, and the crowd's growing, the crowd's getting wilder and wilder, and and uh, it's sort of getting out of hand. Yeah, they they're out for blood. The the crowd, <laughs> like yeah. the excitement over the team. It's not just the wins; it's the fact that they're they're out there just destroying other other human beings. Yeah, and pure just physical wrestling matches and yeah beat downs it's almost cartoonish oh yeah well that's the thing no one actually suffers like severe permanent injury they bleed all over the place yeah but no one's you know getting their eye gouged out or a broken bone or anything like yeah. that so it's it is a certain level of yeah fake kind of violence yeah and reggie's exploiting exploiting this and exploiting yeah. the uh the audience yeah uh and also you know one of the well, we'll talk about this later, but the, you know what? We're just going to talk about it later. I'm not even going to go there okay. yet. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's sort of a commentary. You know, the film in general is a commentary on, you know, the bloodthirsty nature and the how you know these a lot of these sports have gotten more and more violent, and mm-hmm. and that just incites the crowd. And that is that really what they want to see, or do they want to see, you know, real? athleticism and i think i think the real answer is you'll find people on both sides of it there's you know audiences that uh do you know do want to see the pure sport and then there's a lot you know a lot of football fans hockey fans obviously like wrestling fans and mma fans that you know want to see the violence of it 
yeah, that it just gives them an extra motivation to watch a hockey game. Like a uh, violence could break out. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a fight. It's aggressive. It's um, it's fast. It's 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 energetic. Um, but it's funny that like this movie does not really show. There's maybe two shots of actual you know, legitimate hockey play, you know, like <laughs> yeah. there's not, there's not like, you don't get to see like a one good play that leads to something other than when, uh, uh, Braden scores like the first time, mm-hmm. which is actually pretty good. Like you just see a setup and he hits it and it goes in. But honestly, there's no legitimate hockey going on in this movie that is showcased. It's not well, spotlighted. You at get all. a couple of scenes, but then most of it's like coming as a game's ending. Yeah. You know, it's like coming right out of a game, but it's just like a lot of skating. And then, you know, you're not tracking a lot. Like yeah. you, you, you can't, you can't track a play that yeah. happens on the on the ice. Which, you know, for a sports movie, you would think you get some authentic sports. Especially if we're coming off a of field of uh, field of dreams, a league of their own. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> yeah, a league of their own where these athlete, you know, these actors trained to be athletes mm-hmm. for months, and they spotlighted that. You know, you got to see some actual like great, pure mm-hmm. athleticism. And this movie, you have pure athletes, pure hockey, skillful people, yeah. And you don't see any really good hockey. It's yeah, kind of yeah. nuts. Like, it's not important. It's not right. Uh, well, that's that's only part of the story. Oh yeah, it's it's not about the hockey. It's about these guys. Yeah, you know, and the bloodlust. Yeah. And the <laughs> but the Ned Braden is like the only player who, or one of the only players who's not going along with it. Yeah, he doesn't like the way things are turning with uh, Reg at the helm. Mm. So he he is a conscientious objector. He sits it out. He doesn't fight. And eventually he's be- he's benched. He's benched, and he comes back. And then when it erupts into fights again, he doesn't get at the very end. He doesn't participate. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, uh, Reg gets to have a nice turn. You know, he 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 kind of descends into this the worst part of him as this exploitive manipulative person mm-hmm. and you know something clicks and eventually he realizes like what he's doing is destructive yeah and he convinces the entire team let's win it old school no yeah. more fighting in the and last they all, game the and championship all, game and they all follow him even like the toughest guys allow themselves to get beat tossed and all that and they don't fight back and it was like that loyalty to Reg. Well, because in that last game, they're playing all the like worst, most violent players in the league, yeah. and that's where we see Ogie Oglethorpe, yeah, uh, come back, yeah, from prison, <laughs> yeah, exactly. After he, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, but I, I thought that was kind of special that like they all followed his direction. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how he really wants to win it, and like let's play legit, and. Uh, you know, if guys are beating you up on the ice and it's the worst guys, you'd think that at least they would defend themselves, but they, yeah. they don't even do that. You know, it's no. They, well, uh, they and then the second half, they realize they've, well, they, they have to. They have to because the NHL is scouting. So, yeah. all right. And then, then it's just a, it's just a bloodbath. Yeah. <laughs> so the second half of that game was just an absolute bloodbath. Yeah. And Braden's just sitting on the bench for it. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> um, it's just super violent. Everyone's everyone's bloody, including Newman. Yeah. Uh, and the refs have lost control of this. It's really just a rumble. Yeah. And nobody's even scoring, right? It's not like they're back to back. I don't even know. I if there forget was what a the score. score was, but I don't even know. Um, or at least they're not showing that. It's not. It's not uh, important to the plot. 
<laughs> the score. And then the subplot is, you know, obviously with, with Braden and his wife, Lily, yeah. about their kind of like splitting up and whether whether they are or aren't going to split up. And yeah. uh, Francine takes Lily kind of under her wing a little bit, gives her a makeover. So at the end, when Ned looks out into the crowd and, uh, you know, just in the middle of all this bloodthirst, he sees Lily all dressed up and she waves to him and it kind of like gives him that spark. Yeah. And he figures out <laughs> a way to like counter their, cr- the craziness of what's going on, on the, on the, uh, on the ice. Yeah. It's... And does this insane strip tease like, and yeah, that that freaks out the other team more than anything else. The violence that was going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. That they can't, they can handle all that, but uh-huh. they can't handle this. You know, yeah, this isn't real hockey. Yeah. This is how I play it. And then yeah. was it Mad Dog or something? I was screaming at the ref, like to yeah, shut and then that he punches down. Him. Yeah, and then he knocks him out, which disqualifies him. And then that's how the Chiefs win. <laughs> like they're thrown. The other team was thrown out of the game for their violence. Like yeah. that. That that because the Chiefs were not going to like rise up and win legitimately. No. Like a hero's journey to like you know find the the best of themselves and yeah. score and win. And yeah. as a team. That's not that story. This isn't like some bullshit, like inspirational story. Like so, Ned kind of caved, but in his own way. Well, Ned, but Ned and outsmarted them. I guess so. Well, he caved. I don't know. I, you know, and he caved to the sort of insanity of the situation. Mm-hmm. I think he. I think he finally got on his wife's page of like she can't believe they're there. She thinks it's like. It's the dumbest idea. It's silly. She hates being in that town. Like, cause that's the whole thing. She's just basically ornery the whole time. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a good sense why. Obviously, their marriage is on the rocks or whatever. But she hates that town. She can. She knows he's probably cheating on her because he's talking to other girls. This and that. Um, and whatever their intimacy problems are, it's resolved by him. Like basically doing a public nudity show. Yeah. To show that he's he's past it all. Yeah, you're right. This is silly. This doesn't matter. None of this matters. Yeah, she's the one that matters. Yeah, and you know, it's a lot of interpretation of something we don't really know a lot about what's going on, and doesn't seem you know they don't seem to pay a lot of service to Lily in the movie or Francine. Mm-hmm. You know, they they could be they're very they seem like they could be a lot of interesting, but the movie's long enough, mm-hmm. so they're just kind of in there, <laughs> and the yeah. movie doesn't really give a shit about them. Definitely you know? needs more of a female uh perspective i don't know if it needs it i think those women are there we they have they have one nice scene together francine and lily in the in her shop in her shop and they're just talking about how to like you know win over men and like being a player's wife kind of thing but um you know there's a whole other piece of a movie but that's this movie is clearly doesn't have the the time or the like mm-hmm. to, to pay any attention to that. Yeah, to get into all of that. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's the unfortunate thing. There's always a potential for some sort of story that you might want to see, but um, this, this is the story we got. Yeah. Um, part of the uh, fallout of this movie was the reaction to the vulgarity and the violence. Mm. Uh, it got a pretty negative blowback. Yeah. <laughs> It's filthy. A lot of filthy talk in this film. A lot of f bombs. Yeah, like 170 t- times or something. Yeah, the word the f word is said. Yeah, um, in some form or another. Plus uh, the other f word. The other f word. The other the uh, bandied about. Yeah, 
A lot of you're gonna have to bleep me on this. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of and are said in this movie a lot. You can bleep me if you like. I did. <laughs> I just did. Wait, did you bleep? I, I did it. Okay. You, you you won't be able to get that one past me. <laughs> I'm gonna try to sneak it in. Just like, yeah, no, I had a sandwich. Uh, it's like ham, turkey, <laughs> ma- mayo. American cheese nope, can't do it. Did you ah? Oh, did you guess that one too? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. <laughs> you're seven seconds behind me. So <laughs> didn't know if you were ever aware of that. I but. didn't even realize we're on, I'm on the satellite delay. Yeah. <laughs> but Newman called this uh, tastefully vulgar. Yeah, that was. I think that's a good way to put it. The vulgarity is, you know, it's 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 basically perfect because of who we're watching. It wor- it mostly works. They, it's well, it's honest. It's just yeah, it's just real. You would you think these guys, especially then, didn't talk like that? Yeah, didn't no. act like that? No, of course they did. No, it, that, that's the thing. It's the authenticity um, that I think allows it all to work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a difference between the way you know these guys might call someone a pussy. In the way maybe Chevy Chase would in one of his movies, kind of thing. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a, you know, because at least this one isn't really about a commentary about these kinds of people. Whereas, you know, the National Lampoon, this style of comedy is like, these are all well educated people who are still kind of everyman blue collar, but also seem to be above it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's how they position those stories. It's, it's like, yeah, we're still from that sort of, you know, gross kind of regular guy. Mm-hmm. But this seems like true, like authentic, small town, regular folk. Mm-hmm. And this is just, there's something about that. I, that's why I found all of, almost all of our Garrity um, natural. And at times when it was supposed to be funny, I actually found it really funny. Yeah. Um, it just works. There's a couple very much unacceptable things um, that, you know, don't work mm-hmm. today just in a modern context, but, um, and kind of surprising to, especially with something Paul Newman says, uh, as an insult to the owner. And it's just sort of, it's just a little weird, a little off putting Mm -hmm. considering some of the other subject matter, uh, of like, you know, coming off this like sort of sexual revolution and everyone being cool with each other, but still being using that as a, a, an insult, Mm uh, is kind of a, just an odd little, it's a holdover. It's an artifact from the way these guys were raised. Yeah. Anyway, well, uh, if they were making this movie today, uh-huh. I'm going to take you into a little corner of the room I call the Reconsina Casting Corner. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> who would uh, who would you cast as? Uh, let's just say the easy one, Paul Newman's role. Paul Newman's role. That's a tough one for me. I'm going to go with like a. Toby Maguire? Toby Maguire? (laughs) (laughs) He could be one of the Hanson brothers or something. No, No, the Hanson brothers would be uh, all the Hemsworth brothers. So you get Chris, Liam, and Luke. Oh, yeah, there's a third guy. There's a third guy who does does act here and there. Yeah. So we get them, we put them, give them in wigs and thick glasses. Do you think, like, Robert Downey Jr. could be Reg? Oh, yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm yeah. not sure like where he'd have to like I think they hide his age a little bit in the Marvel movies, make oh, him yeah. seem a lot younger than you know he is. Yeah, they sure do. I don't know if he's quite old enough to 
I guess, yeah, he probably would be. I mean... Yeah, no, he'd be a, the right age. Yeah. Like, he's in his 50s. Wow. Uh, yeah. He's in his 50s. Like, that. Paul Newman was in his 50s. Yeah, because, I mean, Downey's kind of a charming... Mm-hmm. You know, I could see him playing that role. Yeah, and he could definitely play deluded, sort of. <laughs> like, maybe a... Crazy. Maybe a Oh, well, no, that's too much Marvel. I was going to say. Oh, who else? Gwyneth Paltrow as Francine. <laughs> you can't bring Gwyneth then. Let's just cast all the Marvel people in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bring, they have everybody anyway. They have everyone. Let's go. <laughs> bring them in. Uh, I think, Lily, I think you know, Lily, you probably need a comedian. Maybe mm-hmm. a uh, Kate McKinnon, one of your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Francine would probably be a Tina Fey. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, then Will Ferrell should just be Ned. <laughs> Ferrell. <laughs> well, Ferrell's fifty. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I didn't give it much consideration, but I think you, you're on the right track there with maybe a, a Downey. A Downey type guy. Downey type. Yeah. And I think the Hemsworths is the Hansons. Uh, if Philip Seymour Hoffman were still with us, <laughs> yeah. I would cast him as uh, Joe McGrath. Oh yeah. Oh, he'd be a great owner. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, oh, who played the sportscaster? By the way, the who? Oh gosh, why wouldn't I blank on his name? We didn't even talk about it. He was so great. He was fantastic in that movie. Let me. I'm gonna pull him up just so we. Um, I did check him out. There oh, were, Andrew Duncan. Yeah, he played uh, Jim Carr. Yeah, Jim Carr. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, He's so great. Kind of carries the. Kind of like Bob Euchre in the Major League. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of carries you through the games and. The movie a little bit, really. Yeah, and he gets he gets a good a few uh, comedic bits. Yeah, um, as he's like screaming into the microphone or interviewing somebody, good stuff. Well, he has that scene where Ned kind of like splits off from the team and just goes up to the commentary booth and. Oh yeah, yeah. and then Ned just loses his mind. Yeah, just like I don't and they know. get into a fight like, yeah. live on the air. <laughs> yeah, and screaming at each other. Oh, so fun. <laughs> um, he was great, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's so many great folks out there yeah i don't know interesting mm-hmm. uh you know another one i'd throw kurt russell in there as uh, uh, uh as, yeah as uh reg as for reg? sure oh yeah kurt can for do it sure um 100 i mean he's here he did miracle so i don't think he needs to yeah redo a slap shot but uh <laughs> he could play joe mcgrath but not a, he'd play he wouldn't play him as no. pathetic no 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 he could do it no Kurt, Kurt can do anything. Kurt can do anything just like Paul could do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why not? Yeah. And then young Kurt could have been Ned. Ned, yeah. Easy. Yeah, recast Easy. this 77 Kurt. You what? could cast the whole movie with just different versions of Kurt Russell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Let's do that. The Hanson brothers that. would be like Snake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Uh, from Escape from New York, Snake Plissken from Escape from L.A. And then uh, Jack from... Uh, Big Trouble? Big Trouble, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be Jack Burton. Or The Thing. You know? Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Or, and then uh, Tango. Or no. Wait, he's Cash. Tango could be like or Killer Carlson. Yeah. Okay. Or Ca- yeah, Gabe or, Cash. He's Gabe, Cash. He's yeah. Cash. So he... Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, you know what I... You know what I smell? Uh, what's up? I smell a birthday coming up soon. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Might have to do something about that. Yeah. Birthdays give off powerful scents. They do. You can smell them coming a <laughs> mile away. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we talk a little BO, a little box office? Oh, shit. Yeah. Let's do that. 
Uh, actually, you there's know, not much data. Not much. Kind of like Harold and Maud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back in the '70s, there's not a lot of hard data that uh, we could find. But. Guys, we're in the '70s. This is when real movies are being made. We're not talking box office all the time. It's the '70s. Yeah, gritty, real. real, new Hollywood. Yes. Uh. <laughs> so, but You're we okay. do have some. Never. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I'm fine. <laughs> Um, it. I don't know what the budget was. It grossed twenty eight million, mm-hmm. uh, which was, I think, sounds like a moderate success. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty good for. This movie couldn't have cost more than ten, right? Probably ten to fifteen, 15 something maybe like 15, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a lot of hotel rooms in Johnstown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the locations can't have been that expensive, for sure. Yeah, those little rinks, and not a lot of. You know, celebrity talent. You've got Paul Newman, and that's kind of it. Yeah, he's your big. He's your big. Everyone else was young and probably you know a low fee mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so really, he's the one. Mm-hmm. It's okay because uh, he's Paul Newman. He deserves it. Yeah, give him give him all the money. Uh, they shot it in the spring of 1976. It was released February 25th, 1977. So happy 42nd birthday! Happy birthday, Mr. Slapshot. <laughs> yep, Mr. Slapshot. Uh, not a lot of award, uh, you know, not a lot of awards for this movie. It did get a WGA Writers Guild nomination for Nancy Dowd. Nice. Uh, congratulations to her. Forty-two years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> uh, it was the number twenty-one ranked movie of nineteen seventy-seven. Oh my gosh. There were no other big movies that came out that year. I can't, I can't think, think of, of a single one. 1977? Yeah. It's kind of a boring summer. Yeah. yeah. Nothing exciting, specifically, no. like, a couple months after this one. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nothing that had any, certainly didn't have any impact. No. It was a really, a really blah vanilla year. Some sci-fi movie that came and went. Yeah. That's it. Oh, those junky sci-fi movies. <laughs> such, such trash. <laughs> But not only one, but there was two sci-fi movies. Two, yeah. Oh, that's right. Do you Garbage. got a, You got a top ten in front of you? I don't. Yeah, I know. There's it's no date on it. It's a seventy. But seventy-seven, you've got Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. And we call it Star Wars, not A New Hope. Yeah, it's because it was called Star Wars. Yeah, that's that. Star Wars. <laughs> a Star Wars story. <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got uh, which James Bond movie was it? Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, all right. So I believe you. Still, Bond was uh, riding high in its franchise, going strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got some major uh, franchise movies happening there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie, you know, did well, did fine. Yeah. Uh, wasn't on the uh, higher end of the year uh, of the list that year, but uh, definitely found its life through the '80s on home video. I think yeah. that's where it really found its calling. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people were passing this one around and uh, became more and more popular among, you know, sports enthusiasts too. Like yeah. this is this is a often cited movie for, you know, sport, you know, sports movies top top of 10 lists. This is this is way up there. Oh yeah, this was on lots of lots. Now you're getting, you know, as we get into the whatever year we are, there's more and more sports movies being made, so I think the older ones are kind of getting Mm-hmm. pushed out yeah in a lot of ways so this is starting to kind of like disappear off some of the top 10 lists yeah you're still gonna find it in like top 20s yeah 
but uh, some of the top tens, it's kind of gone. Yeah. ESPN ranked it the number five sports movie of all time. Rolling Stone ranked it number seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, yeah, like we we're saying, it, it found its uh, home in the in video sales. Yeah. And uh, you know, this was a good Saturday night guy guy night movie rental. You know, late night movie. Uh, definitely good for that, and that's where I think a lot more people. It kind of found its second life. I I believe that's true. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> a lot of the you know a lot of the uh, reviews were really really not good to it when it came out. People didn't know how to take the vulgarity. Yeah, they were just really just shocked. Yeah, because it's really like it hits it pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know the language and then the physical violence. Yeah, it's unrepentant and all that. Uh, it just it gives it out very naturally. So yeah, I think reviewers didn't really know how to like respond to it so most of it was negative mm-hmm. uh variety called it you know said george Roy Hill was ambivalent about the hockey that he just wasn't well, like like you were saying like i just said though yeah. like there's no real hockey in this movie yeah, yeah. it's not a hockey film it's about uh, hockey players but it's yeah. not a this is about this is about a sh- like a like a poor community mm-hmm. this is about a community uh facing tragedy and we're just seeing it through the lens of the hockey team right you imagine all the stories you could tell about the guys who are going to lose their jobs, all the seventies films you can, you can make yeah. about a, a steel mill make worker. A lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can make ten thousand movies. Uh, Vincent Canby called it unfunny. <laughs> the L.A. Times called it, said it had no dimension. Gene Siskel said, uh, really, the film only only showed hockey at its extremes. Right, like it took all the extreme things that happened and put it into one story. Yeah. Taking out all the like normal stuff that happens, right? Because I mean, hockey's largely boring, <laughs> but I mean, the, the plays are plays are well designed and all of that. But you know, it's very it's a very precise game in a lot of ways, yeah. And it's um, you know, it's hard to spotlight that. So you're getting but tons of board checking and uh, uh, miss goals and sh- shot goals and something about periods, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's three periods in a game. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you just see the things that like any any schmo who doesn't know anything about hockey knows about uh, is on the screen. Yeah, and I think players, hockey players themselves, are kind of offended. Yeah, because you're sh- you're showing the worst kind of players. Yeah, and you know you're sort of saying or like, players this is just at their is. at their worst. Or yeah, that's yeah. probably it. And it's just sort of like that's not what the whole game is, right? And, um, and it sort of paints all of hockey in this way. But years later, you know, I think as we got into the early 90s, everybody's, or not everybody, but a lot of people's views on it had softened. A lot of those same reviewers went back and looking back on it mm-hmm. with some perspective, saw the humor in the movie a lot more yeah. on later viewings. The players ended up loving it. Uh, it, it got embraced and... Uh, yeah. You know, found its cult status later on. Yeah, nothing. Not everything is seen the way it was intended the first time out. And yeah, it takes. Sometimes it takes time, uh, and this one's an example of that. And I think you know the Hanson brothers became had a you know their own little legacy mm-hmm. that uh, kind of mythical characters almost that you know people heard about them but didn't hadn't necessarily seen the movie. Mm-hmm. So they got kind of a reputation among themselves. Uh, it did have a couple of sequels. Yeah, right. That were, <laughs> you know, they're straight to video. They're they're two thousands, yeah. 
and uh, straight to video. Yeah, but then the Hansons are in them. The Hansons are in them. No. In both of them. Stephen Baldwin plays the Paul Newman type character. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no real, other than the Hansons, there's no connection to the, yeah. uh, the, the original film. Mm-hmm. But Paul, uh, Stephen Baldwin, you know, that's a far, far cry from Paul Newman. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and they're straight to video. We all know the quality of those straight to video 90s and 2000s. Yeah, they don't quite have the budget. And yeah. It's not quite a. It's a money grab. And then three is even more of a step down. Yeah. But the Hanson brothers are like the coaches now. And yeah. It's like a super young team. And it's, it's like just... it's like the American Pie series. It's, you know, as it, it went on, worse. you just just more of the main people dropped off. And then you've only got Eugene Levy. And <laughs> yeah. he's weirder and weirder each movie. And he's and... hanging out with Stifler's brother. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, what is this thing? Very similar. <laughs> actually, oh, shit. I think actually one of the straight to video one was like Stifler's brother going to college yeah. and Eugene Levy takes him or something yes. like that. Yep. <laughs> I, you are, just, you are I just sort of like, I guess that's why I said it that <laughs> that's an insane premise. <laughs> what? Hard pass on those American pie movies. First one's fun. I enjoyed the second one as well. Second one is good. Yeah. It's the, it's the same movie. American wedding. Nah. I missed that one. Yeah. I and then, the, uh, they just, I dipped out Then they're crazy after that. And then there's like three more. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, they really, uh, you know, took that one for Make all it a towards. franchise. Whatever. Guess, you know. Sure. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but so how do you feel about this? You think, uh, do you think it holds up? Slapshot holds up in 2019? I, I think mostly. I think uh, if you haven't seen it, and I can, uh, I think it's worth a shot for anyone who hasn't seen it. If you're looking for something a little, something with a little depth and that's, and it's not an outright comedy, and you're going to be fine with some of the raunchiness. Um, you know, why not? Like, I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I never, if I really ne- ever really need to see this movie again, personally. Yeah. But it's, I really enjoyed it um, for the most part. Yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's a fun sports movie. Uh, you know, there's funny parts to it. Yeah. Um, I think if you're a sports movie, if you like sports movies, you should definitely see it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a Paul Newman fan, mm-hmm. definitely, absolutely see it. It's, oh, yeah. it's this actually was his, the character he had the most fun with. This was the character that he loved the most of all the movies he did. Wow, he had the most fun playing this role, and this was his favorite movie. Yeah, that's something, and that's I think saying a lot for his body of work. Sure, which we are going to continue to cover. Uh, some of it. May fall a little bit outside our scope, but I think we may, as you know, special episodes might might do those here and there. Sure, yeah. But uh, you know, he's got quite a body of work to look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it. I think, um, I think parts of it are tough to get through. Yeah, it's slow. It, yeah, it can be slow, parts. and you know, it, like it's again, a little long, a little long. Again, like sort of spotlighting the the female characters, kind of just wasting roles of film on them like in a sense that they i get why they're there but they don't really do anything other than sort of well, waste it's, time I it's mean, really you know a masculine movie yeah yeah <laughs> you know exactly. it's uh this is all about masculine stuff yeah there's not a lot for feminism here yeah not, not again not that you need feminism but just sort of like if there's a character in the film and they have very like very specific relationships 
and you're only you're not even paying attention to it and it's just like a very minor subplot it's just kind of like what, what's the point yeah it's glossed all? over i mean you kind of need it if they if they weren't in there at all if the two ladies weren't in it at all I, it doesn't really work i mean because like it's just men in the ho- excuse me <clears throat> it's just men in their hockey and like and this whole thing so you need something to sort of ground them a little bit but um that, but that that's how do you strike that balance right. in a movie that's already over two hours long yeah yeah um but uh and yeah of course some of the uh some objectionable uh language really think certain things that you just would never put in a movie today no a lot of that is uh, you know no-nos. um you know it, it's it's a funny thing of like again it's sort of a fossilized artifact uh of the era where in the locker rooms like this might be the way these guys talk but it is very much for like protecting masculinity and anything that's feminine there's nothing worse than being feminine as a man like that's the greatest insult to these men yeah we she's a she's gay does that make me a like you okay like <laughs> you know and again that's that's real that's real that's that was real then. oh yeah that was that was um, the thing so that's fine but it's you know um but it, I, I get it it's just like kind of watching like you know your older relatives sort of talking kind of ignorant and not really trying to be that malicious yeah they're just ignorant yeah so well, you can't you uh, know in, you in, a, in a modern context that's all you can say is like well that's just yeah you what can't they did. support it but uh that's the way it happened that's yeah. the way it was then yeah and uh and i can only you know i can only assume that like this is not real this isn't a, this is a movie for adults though i don't be, only because of that the violence and the, the attitudes all of that right. like i don't care if it's funny but like i would never show this to a kid like i don't you know like you have to have some sort of level of like understanding like mm-hmm. this is a this is a hard r for yeah me. yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna get that side of it yeah. until you're a certain age but. yeah it just like you, yeah you just don't have that understanding and it, it can color a lot of different things um so anyway yeah uh but I seeing it at my age today for the first time, uh, I had a lot of fun. Um, really, yeah, really yeah. good stuff. Yeah, I think it, as an adult, you can just find the the humor in it and yeah, putting in context of nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, so. and it made me want to like watch like a bunch of Paul Newman movies. Oh well, I've got some to recommend. We're gonna have to discuss that <laughs> off air. You got a, the Hustler, Color Money. Yeah. You got to pair those together. But. I think I want to watch the Hustler next. Okay. So, right. we'll talk about it. Yeah. Off air. <laughs> and then on air. <laughs> and then on air. But, uh, all right, well, uh, thank you guys for joining us and celebrating Slap Chat's uh, 42nd birthday. Yes. And uh, we are going to wrap things up now. Let's Thanks for listening. Here. Yeah, let's get out of here. I gotta, I gotta, I've got interns lined up that I'm going to fire hockey pucks at. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Down in the down the rink downstairs. That's that's perfect. I, yeah. like, I like how you always do thematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like sort of games yeah. or, you know, games in quotes with the interns. Like it's just, fun. I have five interns and I've got five hockey pucks for each of them. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure they're hoping I'm not going to hit them. Okay. Well, and I'm sure there's going to be a prize for the one that is hit the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the one who's hit the most, you know what the prize is out of here. They get to work here for another week. <laughs> another week. <laughs> the one who gets hit the most gets kicked out on the street. Yeah. You're gone. And call the cops. Get them out of here. Trespassing. And uh, I'm going to go back to my office. I'm going to watch a bunch of news bloopers (laughs) on YouTube. So, All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. 
I want to thank our friends uh, Curtis Moore for the poster and E.K. Wimmer for the theme song. Check out his podcast, The Laser Graves, uh, anywhere you listen to uh, to podcasts. Yeah, and also, you know, pop by iTunes. Give us that five-star review if you can. Uh, leave a review. Stop by our Facebook page and uh, check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Reconcinimation. Yeah. Give, us a, give us a shout. Give us a shout. Let us know what, what do you want us to cover in, uh, in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, anything uh, you want to hear us rant and rave about, yeah. uh, let us know. And what's your favorite slap shot memory? Mm-hmm. Give, us, give, us, yeah. give us a note. We want to hear, like, we talk about how we first uh, heard about and saw these movies. What was your first movie memory for some of this stuff? Let us know. Tweet at us. We love that stuff. Facebook us. Instagram us. Yeah, all that thing, all that stuff I just said. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just reiterating. Okay, perfect. Yeah, in case they forgot. Um, All right. All right, but we'll be back here in sooner than you think. That sounds great to me. Yeah. All right, guys. You take care. We'll see you soon. Bye now.